We're going to study the Gospel of Mark. So turn to Mark chapter 1. The Gospel of Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And in the New King James Version, I'd like to invite a few of you to read. Mark chapter 1. Someone can read one through seven, uh, one through eight, and someone else you can read nine through fifteen, and then the third person you can read sixteen to the end of the chapter. So, one brother, sister, you can read Mark chapter one, one through eight. Next person, nine through fifteen. And then the last verse in 16 to the end of the chapter, which is verse 45. Praise God. Please read it. Praise the Lord. If you have a good connection, everyone, you're able to read slowly, clearly, and loud enough. It's very important that you read it slowly for us so we can really follow along. Praise God. Mark chapter 1, New King James Version. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sin that all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River confessing their sins now John was clothed with, with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist. he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me, who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Verse 9 onwards. Verse 9 onwards, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately, coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, 
and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Praise God. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. Then he went into Capernaum, And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. can read to the uh, end of the chapter, if you're able to, Jody. Okay, thank you, Pastor. Yes, God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Now, As soon as they had come out of the synagogue, I'm sorry, Pastor, did you want me to continue to 45? Yes, I'd ask the third person if you can read the balance of the chapter, Jody, but if if, um, you'd like to give somebody else a turn, we can do that too. Absolutely, Pastor. Thank you. Thank you, Jody. Um, So maybe we can pick up from 29. Jody read the longer passage from the other two. And she's going to give somebody else an opportunity. From 29 to 45, if somebody else would like to read. Now, no. okay. go ahead, go ahead. 
No. Why don't we do this? Um, Carmel. I don't know who the other person is. Was it Philip? Or Jeff? Yes, I'm still here, but Carmel can read. It's okay. Sure, Philip. Um, this actually, maybe we can do this 29, 29 to 39, and then Philip, if you would read, please, 40 to 45. Thank you. Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately, and immediately, so he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go into the next town that I may preach. There also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in the synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way. Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. Praise the Lord. We're looking at Mark's Gospel. We're going to go through this shortest of the Gospels, with God's help, to get a quick overview with some details of the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we notice right away 
that Mark doesn't focus on the story of the Lord's birth. He doesn't focus on the events leading up to his birth. He doesn't focus on the historical record of Rome interacting in their conquered territory of Palestina or Palestine, what we know today as Israel, or parts of it. But he gets right to the action, and that's the feature that we see in, in this, this Markan gospel, Mark's gospel. We've heard now pieces of chapter 1, read by different brothers and sisters, sister, and uh, we heard it in the New King James Version, I believe. Now, we'd like to l- listen to it one more time because, number one, it's good to hear the Word of God again. Number two, it's good to hear it in a different version sometimes. Number three, it's in the morning, early in the morning, and we may not be able to pay full attention. Even if we think we're paying attention, for various reasons, we certainly might get more out of it if we read it again. So what I'd like to do now is, as one person who has the clear connection and can read and who is um, who has the energy to read the entire chapter in the New Living Translation, there are many events captured here in Mark chapter 1. And the action is fast-paced. And we need to follow the different sections here that the Holy Spirit has recorded through Mark about the Lord immediately being called by God to get baptized in the Jordan River against the backdrop of multitudes coming to John the Baptist. He also came. And he comes. But there's a noticeable difference when the Lord Jesus gets baptized and others get baptized. It says that they confess their sins, but you don't see the Lord Jesus saying that or doing that. Obviously, he had no sin. Now, he was born in the human race, but how did he not inherit sin? He had no human father. Conception requires the process of processes that we know that lead to fertilization and embryo and all those things. But Mary had no such um, connection with anyone, any man. She was a chaste person and she wasn't married. She was betrothed to be married, but she was not um, physically with her husband or husband-to-be. They had a different process in the Jewish marriage. There was a engagement that passed off as marriage, and yet they were not consummated. They didn't consummate the marriage until a certain time. And um, so the Virgin Mary was, as we call her, at the time of the conception of the Lord Jesus Christ in her womb. 
she was a virgin. And what was created in her womb did not come from the usual way we know between uh, male and female of the human race. This production of the human being, this baby, simply occurred in her womb by the work of the Holy Spirit. It was the Spirit of God who formed the body in the womb of Mary when she had no connection to any man. Therefore, Jesus had no human father. He simply came into Mary's womb with a merging of the divine with the human an unprecedented, never-to-be-duplicated, one-time supernatural act of the Most High God. But he was born as a human being to bear the sins of human beings, live as a perfect human being, divine human being, to show us how we too can live by the power of the Spirit, because he had to get baptized and the Spirit did descend upon him at a certain time. So let's hear this again now. If you read before, you can read again, but someone has the energy and the good connection can read loud enough and slow enough, please. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 45 in the New Living Translation. And let's hear it again, second time. Mark chapter 1 in the Old Version. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food he ate locusts and wild honey. John announced, Someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dog. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan 
for forty days. He was out among the wild animals, and angels took care of him. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee, where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue, who was possessed by an evil spirit, cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Then Jesus reprimanded him, Be quiet, come out of the man. He ordered. At that the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away. So he went to her bedside, took her by the hand, and helped her sit up. Then the fever left her, and she prepared a meal for them. That evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, We must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. 
I am willing, he said. Be healed. Instantly the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise God. We just finished reading Leviticus, studying Leviticus together, and so we are familiar with verse 44, the procedure, and they were under the Jewish law at this time, and so they had to abide by that law. The priest had to declare someone cleansed. There's a social stigma attached to this as well as a religious law that governed their re-entry into society. And so these people who had leprosy, if and when they were healed, they had to have, according to the law of Moses, an examination from the priest in order to be declared clean for public testimony. The main thing is that they got cured. And the Lord did it. Jesus did this. The Son of God came into the world and he had no sin. As we mentioned before we heard a second reading of this chapter, that he knew no sin. He did not come from the seed of a man, in which case he would have inherited Adam's sin, but he didn't. He was not formed in the womb of Mary by an act of Mary or gain his uh, stature, his DNA, everything from Mary the way we would normally expect a human baby to receive from the human mother. God worked it so that that which was formed in her womb was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She was a vehicle. He came legally through his earthly supposed father, Joseph, and through Mary from the line of David. Both of them came from the line of David. And so he was the heir. By this time, Rome had power over the area but the Jews still operated according to the Jewish law they were given that freedom and God hadn't forgotten his promise how we can get so disturbed and off track sidetracked when circumstances change we need to remember God never forgets his promise his covenant when God says to us I've loved you with an everlasting love he said so much, as much, I should say, to Abraham, 
Isaac and Jacob to Moses to King David. And King David knew that the Messiah is going to come through his line. They all had a piece of the puzzle. They were given some revelations from the Spirit of God. But the entire picture was realized in the birth of the baby in the womb of a woman who had not known any man. This baby did not carry any sin. It was sinless. And he remained sinless. But he became sin by taking all of our sins so that we can be free. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah. You see that Mark, by the Spirit of God, quotes the prophet Isaiah in a very familiar passage. The voice of one crying or shouting in the wilderness. What is he shouting and why is he shouting? Who is this? John the Baptist, the baptizer. A man who is the son of a priest. But he certainly is not acting the role of a priest. He's somewhere in the wilderness. And people may think he's off because he's shouting in a desert area, in a wilderness. But they knew he wasn't off, though initially they might have heard about him, because he was speaking by the Spirit of God. He came in the power of the Spirit of Elijah. And the Lord proved that he was with him to the people by the force of the words that drew people from all over the place to this man. He was not in a palace. He was not in politics. He was not a person who had people power the way, the way they're used to understanding it through popularity because of people pleasing. How does a man who preaches an unpopular message become so popular so popular and popular in the sense that they didn't necessarily like him and the message but they were drawn to it because they knew it's the truth and the Lord said I'm sending this man to prepare the way for the Lord Psalm 110 the Lord said unto my Lord the Father Son and Spirit working together, one God. To bring about the incarnation, the flesh or fleshed out presentation of the invisible God, the second person of the Godhead. And they were to prepare the way. How do you prepare the way? He's shouting, prepare the way. But how do you prepare the way? What can we do? They might have asked. You may ask. John is there as a herald. He's saying, he's going to say as we read here, I'm not worthy to bend down and even unloose his 
shoelace or latchet from his shoes. There's somebody coming after me who's mightier than me. John was mighty. People feared John. Not because he wanted to be fearful, or fearful looking, I should say, or inspired fear, but because the Spirit of God was convicting them left and right. Multitudes came. All classes of society came. We're filling in some details here from the other Gospels, but this was the background of what the Lord Jesus came into. God was working. It seemed like Rome was in charge and the Jewish people were disillusioned and they didn't know what was going to happen. Circumstances were all toppled against them. But God is at work in your life and in my life. What a consolation, what a comfort that he's someone that doesn't get moved by anything. He continues to work and move us toward his eternal purpose. Hallelujah. That gives me such a confidence and joy because I see that in the life of his son who became a man, in spite of the situation that was so bad for the Jews, compared to what they had when they were independent and following God. This oppression came. And they have centuries of disobedience before the Lord. God's will was not that they should be held captive or be oppressed. But he works with us even when we are out of his perfect will. And that's the grace of the living God doesn't mean that he condones it. But God is merciful. And he always finds a way to help us out when we begin to cry out to him. Now, there were people, as we knew, know from the book of Luke, who were looking for the Messiah, Simeon and Anna. There were people like that, eagerly awaiting they knew what was happening. They knew the current events. They knew what they were saying on the radio, so to speak, on television and all over the Internet, what the situation is, the global climate in politics and all kinds of activities. But their eyes were not on those things. Their eyes were on the Word. The ears and heart were on the Word of God. And so we need to make sure that we withdraw from the common consumption of man's words if we want to be led by the Spirit. We can't have both. Because it's the flesh versus the Spirit most times when it comes to hearing what the world has to say and what God has to say. But John the Baptist heard the Lord very clearly. He was a child who was filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb himself. And at some point, he was led by the Spirit to abandon the official priestly um, duties and role. And he was called to be a prophet. He was made a prophet. And his function was something different than just helping the people make sacrifices to atone for their sins, as important as it was. 
John the Baptist was set apart though he came from the priestly line to be a prophet to actually bring about the fulfillment or consummation of the ultimate sacrifice for all mankind, Jew and Gentile, forever. His role was to introduce the Lamb of God. He was looking also. The Father, the Almighty God, revealed to him who the Son of God was. But he was shouting before that to tell the people, prepare the way for the Lord's coming make his path straight or clear the road for him. How do we do that? His message was, if you repent, you will clear the way. In order for anyone to receive Jesus Christ, they have to clear the way for him to be able to enter in. And it needs to be a surrender of the self. A true but glad surrender. Where we recognize this is the Lord of glory. And I can't run my life the way I'd like to because I'm His. He made me in His image. I didn't just come out of nowhere. God created me. God created every human being and He creates every human being. We owe Him worship adoration and devotion and obedience. That's how you prepare the way for the Lord, by humbling yourself. And that's what John was calling them to do, to come and confess your sins. And that was the repentance. In water, getting baptized to demonstrate that they don't want to live life on their own terms anymore. They want to do it God's way and they're dying to themselves as they go into that water, recognizing what they're doing, unlike many places today, many people today. They may get baptized because it's a ceremonial thing they like to do. Everybody's doing it, maybe. Or they want to marry somebody who's a Christian and they decide to do it. This is the ritual that Christians do. Let me do it also to prove that I'm also part of that community because I love this girl, I love this guy. There are others who do it because they think, you know, it's about time. I didn't get baptized, so there's another thing to check off my list. Until others may do it because they recognize. I want to die to my way. I want to live for God and live life His way because He's the truth. I don't have the truth. He is the truth. I need Him in my life. I need him to save me. I understand I'm coming up short every time I look at God's standard, his word, his law, his holiness, his justice. I'm in trouble. I need him. You need to be aware of the danger of not repenting. As well as be fully aware of the love of the living God to call us out of darkness and to be part of his family. So John came shouting in the wilderness, saying, clear the way Jesus is coming. The Son of God is coming. Jesus is coming. Clear the way. And the people came from every direction. All Judea, verse 5, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear 
John. The two, at least two traditional places where they believe that John was baptizing in the Jordan River. As we know, the Jordan River goes from north to south from around Mount Hermon, way up in the north of Israel, northern Israel. All the way down, collects in the Dead Sea. They have a, a long stretch coming down. And some people point to the north part of northern part near the Sea of Galilee where it passes through. Others more near the Dead Sea. Reading this, I'm inclined to think it's closer to the Dead Sea because it's close to Jerusalem and the Judean region over there, not near the Samaritan region, which is further north. But he was baptizing people in this river, plenty of water there, and but they had to come and repent. And he made it clear, as you see in the other Gospels. He told the soldiers, don't bully people and extort them. He told the religious leaders, you snakes, what are you doing here? Imagine that. Everybody's coming and they thought we can come too. And let's see, this man's a sensation. I mean, he's got some kind of magnetic He's got some kind of magnetic pull. Everybody's going here. Even the soldiers are coming here. And they came in the crowd and the Spirit of God in John spotted them and revealed their heart publicly. He said, you brood of vipers. He said, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? He said, you better repent for real. Don't come here and think that you can be in on this too. Add it to your resume to have some more standing with the people who you know are coming over here because of the truth. Everyone had to come to that Jordan River where John was baptizing. Everyone had to come to the Jordan River where John was baptizing. And they had to repent of their sins and turn to God to get that forgiveness. And suppose some people can get baptized also to think, you know, I want to get this dirt off of me. Of course, not physical dirt. For that, they can take the bath wherever they want. But just to do it because I understand that if I get baptized, I can feel cleaner. There's an emotional, psychological aspect to this perhaps that there's some significance to this thing. So let me do it too. Let me get baptized. I'll probably feel better. But without that repentance factor, really being sorry for one's sins, and not glibly and quickly confessing a few things, but really knowing that I'm dealing with the living God. It's not a ritual. It's not an empty religion. This is for real. God is seeing that I'm making a profession that He runs my life from now on. That's what baptism is. That the Lord Jesus runs my life from now on. Jesus runs my life. I'm giving over the control over my life into his hands. And I want the only one who can forgive me of my sins, God himself, to cleanse me, do a work inside. Now a person gets born again They don't have to be baptized to get born again. However, 
the two events are so closely connected that one is said to be a public evidence of that spiritual inner or inward transaction. And for someone not to get baptized and not to know that now I'm publicly telling the whole world, I have one Lord, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. But this baptism here was the precursor to getting born again. This is what they had at that time because Jesus hadn't come out publicly and began to preach and began to heal and show them that he's the Son of God and that they should partake of his body and his blood to be born again and believe in him. John was preparing the way. People had to come, first of all, in repentance. And that has not changed. Although people don't get baptized now before they believe. At that time, because the Lord was yet to be revealed publicly, the preparation was, turn from your sins so you can receive the King. Turn from your sins so you can receive the King of glory. Everybody came. As we go through this this story, this narrative, it helps us to think about how we view preparing our own hearts so that God can work, God can come in, God can take over, and how we relate that to our family members and those who don't know the Lord, those who haven't been baptized or they were baptized incorrectly. Incorrectly includes the mode of baptism. Baptism is immersion, as we know. Baptizo. The whole significance is that I'm dying to my old life. I'm coming up new to follow Jesus all the way. And only Jesus. So sprinkling water hardly signifies death to the old life. That submersion speaks of death, identifying with the death of the Lord Jesus and the burial, and then coming up out of the water to live a new life. Uh, people can be incorrectly baptized even being immersed. How? They're doing it right. They're not being sprinkled with water or some other thing. Half the torso out saying I'm baptized, not being immersed. But they've been immersed. What's wrong now? If they did it, not realizing that when they get baptized, they're saying to the Lord, I turn from every wicked thing I've ever done, Lord. Everything I've done against you and independent of you. Please forgive me. And I'm dying to my old way. I want to live for you, Lord, and that's all I want to do. That conviction and that drive, if that's not there, then that baptism, how can it be valid in the sight of God? So when we baptize people, we make it clear to them. Many churches and many uh, pastors may have classes on baptism, 
there may be one among many things they do in a, a church body. But if the passionate expression of God's heart desiring a person to understand what it is they're going to do now when they get baptized, what it is they're actually saying, first of all, first and foremost, to God himself that I'm identifying with you, Lord. And there's, a, there's an impartation. It's not simply a ritual where two people are there in the water and one dunks the other one and says some nice words and prays and everybody claps and cheers. It's a very solemn as well as joyful experience with a person looking to the Lord saying, Lord, I'm making it public and I know your favor is going to rest on me even more because I'm following your commandment to get baptized. And the Lord Jesus himself, as you mentioned, he came. He was baptized and he said, thus it becomes us to fulfill all righteousness. We see it in another gospel. In another gospel. He came and did everything that the human beings were supposed to do. Except in his baptism, it was the very event that identified to John, the baptizer. We already know, I'm not worthy to baptize you, Lord. I need you to baptize me, but Jesus said, just just do it, because it's what needs to be done. At that point, he had a revelation, because he saw the Holy Spirit come down not as a dove. Sometimes you'll see pictures or films depicting the Holy Spirit coming, looking just like a dove, actual dove coming down. But as you think about it, it says in the former, like a dove, the gospel writers didn't have any aircraft. They didn't have any helicopters. They didn't know about drones and all these things that can come down like a bird and like a, a, a creature, a flying creature coming from above and descending. But they knew about doves. A graceful descent upon the Son of God. And you may think of a form of a a substance coming, not exactly like a dove, but in the form of a a graceful bird descending down. And he came down upon the Lord Jesus. Before that, we see once more that this John was in the desert. And his clothing, it says, was made of camel's hair. And he wore a leather belt around his waist. And for food, he ate locusts and wild honey. He had this ascetic lifestyle. He was very strict and disciplined. You had to be if you're going to live in the wilderness. Is a man like Elijah who walked by faith 
we're going to see in the life of John and much more in the Lord Jesus' life that they were driven by the Holy Spirit to follow a mission. They did not look around and adjust their mission according to the circumstance. They didn't look at people and let them stop them or push them forward faster than they needed to go. Their eyes were upon the Lord. Exactly what He wanted them to do, where He wanted them to be, that's where they were found. The will of God was that John should be in the desert. The Lord called us to start a church the human inclination was Middletown. It's nearby, more people here. The Lord specifically said, I'm going to take you to the desert. A place where, when we went there a few years ago, it was not what it is today. As much development as is still necessary, it was far worse. That's where the Lord called us. And we have to train ourselves to say, Lord, if you call me to the desert, I will go. If you call me to the palace, I will go. If you call me to the garden, I will go. If you call me to the desert, I will go, I will go, I will go. It's a tremendous dedication that God is developing in every disciple to simply hear Him and to do what He says. And it'll be counter, counterintuitive, and counter often to what humanly we may think. But he's got a divine purpose. Imagine if John decided, this doesn't make any sense for me to go out there and be uh, bereft and deprived of the normal priestly life. Normal life with a three meals a day or whatever kind of... Um, prosperity that we were accustomed to and to have people come and give mean looks and confused looks and we're talking about hundreds and thousands of people having to put up with everybody and say things that they didn't want to hear necessarily but his character was different than most people of his day he feared the Lord. He loved the Lord. And he knew. God is going to reveal to me the Savior of the world. He's not going to miss that for anything. But he started out obeying the Lord in other areas. And God had this grand moment in his entire ministry and life to come face to face. Although they're related to the revelation that this is my beloved son with whom I'm pleased. This is the Lamb of God. 
He would have missed this if he thought, I don't want to go there. Desert. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good be in the wilderness? You have the heat. You have no real food. You have loneliness. You have loneliness. You have no friends. And you have a tough message to tell the people. Will you do it? God calls us to do it. His plan, His purpose. Will we look around and see who's next to us? And who's going to give us a vote of confidence that, yeah, you should do this? Or can we come to the point and say, Lord, although we should always be open to prophetic confirmation from real prophets, a confirmation from God's Word, from the Spirit of God, an inward witness of peace and direction. There are many things that we need to be open to that God will give, but do we rely upon our emotions, what people say, and whether we can have the whole package laid out before us, all the ins and outs? Or will we be like the real disciples of Christ and say, Lord, you lead, and I will follow. I don't need to know. The Lord told the disciples when he sent them out, don't take anything with you. The provisions will be given to you. The life of faith is an adventure and exciting only because we know we have the living God was going before us. His presence gives us all we need, all the assurance, because God never lies and He never makes a mistake. And it's His great love and privilege on our part to receive that love and be called to even make a single step, take a single step. Who are we that He should talk to us first of all? We're so tiny, we're so sinful in and of ourselves but he wants to give us his righteousness he wants to show us his grand plan his blueprint for our lives it's far better and far more glorious than anything we can imagine John was in God's perfect will although many people might have thought what he's doing is bizarre strange and he's just missing out on all the comforts. He could be having potato chips right now. Sitting back after doing his duties in the temple if he followed his father's footsteps. Whenever he was called. The rest of the time he could just read the law and take care of business. Whenever God calls us for anything glorious anything beyond the ordinary, even in the line of being a disciple, he will test our faith to see whether we really trust him. Or will we go so far, you know, John could have said, Lord, I'm going to go to the city limits, of the border right here. Beyond this point, it's just too hot. I'm, I'm going to melt. 
Lord, can you call me when the weather gets a little better? And Lord, all of these beady eyes looking at me, Lord, everywhere I go. Can you send some of them away and give me some friends, Lord? Send me some people who like me. Here's a man who Jesus said was unlike any other. He was a burning light. He was burning with a passion to do the will of God. He loved the Lord. John loved God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's why the fire in his life was so bright. That's why the Spirit of God worked in his ministry so powerfully, though it was so short. Though it was so short. It accomplished exactly God's will. He passed with flying colors. He did God's will. He introduced the Messiah. And John was gone. Where? To be with the Almighty God in a glorified body, joy unspeakable, more than he ever experienced on this side of eternity. You notice the Lord Jesus was compelled once he was baptized and the Spirit of God came down. He was compelled after the voice from heaven identified him to John and whoever was able to hear, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. I'm well pleased with him. He satisfied my, satisfies my heart. Jesus was driven or compelled by the same spirit that came like a dove. When things are going well and we are so in love with the Lord, the very next thing might be a trial. Because that love gets tested too. There's a progress, there's a forward momentum, there's a mission, you see. God has a mission, we have to keep going. That's why even after he chose disciples and they said, everybody's looking for you. He said, we have to keep moving. He didn't keep moving because people were chasing him. He kept moving because the Father's will said from this point to this point, and then from this point to that point, there's a calendar and you've got to keep in step with the Spirit. He was in perfect harmony with the Father's will. What a delight and what a joy for us to know that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be at this point in my life. I know my father's pleased with me. How? How do I know that? Because I'm paying attention to his voice. And I have reprioritized my life so that I can seek him first. His righteousness first. You know you're in the perfect will of God. Hallelujah. Because this is what the word says. This is what God requires. And then within that, God will show us which direction to go every day, what to do. But we need to be familiar with his voice. Another notable thing that John declared about Jesus was that when he baptizes, it's not going to be with water like I'm baptizing, John said. I'm baptizing with water. When he baptizes... He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You are going to be immersed in full 
of God's Spirit. And that would happen later for those who believed in Him. Out of their rivers would flow, uh, bellies would flow rivers of living water. Out of their bellies would flow rivers of living water. The Spirit of God had to descend upon them. We see that in Acts chapter 2. And from that day on, till this day, until Jesus comes, people are not only getting baptized in water for their repentance from their heart and sorrow for living life their way, not God's way, who owns the whole universe, who must be worshipped and adored and obeyed. And they receive forgiveness now, unlike in John's day. We know Jesus died on the cross to purchase that forgiveness. The other baptism was a preparation for the relationship that can be had through the atonement by the blood of Jesus Christ. You saw quite a bit about atonement in Leviticus just recently. We have a baptism now but everything is laid before us. Everything we can possibly desire for a perfect, harmonious relationship and fellowship with the God of the universe. You didn't have a temple precinct. You didn't have the court of the Gentiles and the court of women and the court of the priests. You didn't have different sections and different elevations in the temple that Herod expanded upon so many divisions, so many uh, boundaries drawn, so many areas forbidden. Gentiles couldn't go to a certain part of that temple area. Not just the temple, but the area of the temple. It was a penalty of death. Now, you and I, able to go right to the Holy of Holies. Oh my God. How does this happen? Every regulation is out of the way. He nailed everything to the cross. It says in Revelation, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. Anyone who's thirsty for everlasting life, for real fellowship and relationship with the living God, can come freely now confessing our sins to the Lord and acknowledging that He is the Lord He is the one who died on the cross to wash our sins away and make us right with God we can get born again and we can get baptized now to show and demonstrate He's not only my Savior He's my Lord and I'm telling the whole world I have one Lord Jesus Christ and He's the one I'm living for I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back no turning back. The Lord Jesus got baptized. The dramatic event happened. The Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. The voice from heaven came from the Father. Everything is beautiful. Everything is coming to light. He is embarking upon his ministry. But instead of people sending him cards and saying congratulations, you're beginning your ministry. I'm proud of you. And here, Here's some gifts for you. and He's driven to trial, to temptations. Immediately, he says. 
the Lord does that often. He moves us from one point to another swiftly but seamlessly, seamlessly but swiftly. Because there's a mission for each one of us to glorify God in a particular way of living and working. There's a grand object, a goal, and a calling for each and every one of us. We cannot miss that. We can never say, Lord, I want to get off the bus right now and do some sightseeing here. When the Lord says, keep moving. Lord, I'd like to stop here now because I think, you know, the the land looks very lush, Lord. I want to move my family there and we'll work out the ministry there. The Lord has his plan. And we're not supposed to come up with plan B or co-plan with him at all because he's the almighty God. And again, like John the Baptist, why would somebody be found in the wilderness after such a wonderful mountaintop experience and revelation to the world of who he is? It was a showdown. It was an opportunity that God is bringing the Son of God to defeat Satan. It's during our temptation and trials we have the sweetest victory by refusing to budge from our trust in the living God. Even through the tears praising His holy name. Oh, how beautiful. What a sacrifice of praise. And how the Father's heart is moved toward us to see that we are staying the course and not doubting Him because we will emerge victorious every single time. This is what happened to the Lord Jesus. Verse 12, the Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. As you know, it wasn't just three temptations, one day, an hour or a few minutes, as you see sometimes in the films depicting the Lord's temptation. For 40 days, the devil was at it. You can be sure he pulled out everything he had in his bag of deception. At every point, it says in the book of Hebrews, which book we studied not too long ago, was found without sin. He never gave in. He defeated the devil, the other Gospels record. The devil came to tempt him with the lust of the flesh, Feed yourself. And God's will was not for him to feed himself at that time. See? To eat is not a sin, except when God says, don't eat now. The devil will come to try to make us break that. And we lose at that point. But if we understand God's will, we can be an overcomer. And he tried through the lust of the eyes. He said, look at all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give it all to you. Just bow down and worship me. The first attack, we know, he quoted in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, it is written, 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out or from the mouth of God. Man shall not live by bread alone. The second case is that get thee hence, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. And then he came through another avenue of temptation, the pride of life, and he set him on a pinnacle of the temple, it says, in the other Gospels, and he said, just jump. Throw yourself down. Show your power. Isn't it written that the angels will catch you in their hands? The Lord knew. It's the devil tempting him to do something the Father did not want him to do. How? Could we have power and have the volition and option to do whatever we want but choose not to do whatever we want because God doesn't want us to do whatever we want but what He wants us to do. To have that self-control. And He said, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And these three temptations are representative of many temptations that the devil brought to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he will bring to us, the Christian life, as we heard yesterday, is a life of trials. Not all the time, but includes trials which are designed from the devil's point of view to destroy us, but from God's point of view to build us up, to show God's faithfulness and our faithfulness to the Lord, and to show how God uses various situations where we are at our wit's end, we're suffering and we're troubled, we're full of anxiousness, And it seems like no one can help in those lonely hours, in those moments. You see, God is so faithful. He's so loving. He's so good. He's so near. But when things are going well, He doesn't seem that near to many people because they're lost in a very superficial kind of lip service devotion to God. But when human help fails, And when problems come, when we call out to the Lord, He comes. He's so good. He's so loving. He comes to our help. He comes to our rescue. Man shall not live by bread alone. It's actually in Deuteronomy. Chapter 7. 
chapter 8, verse 3. So he humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you to know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Deuteronomy 8.3 Deuteronomy chapter 6, of course, is where we find the Shema, the confession of the creed, acknowledging that the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, or your God, is one Lord. But the enemy came to tempt the Lord Jesus, and he is allowed to come to us and to try us. And since God has given us this precedent in Scripture, we're expected to have a different view of life, you see. Every time we learn from the Word of God, every time we learn about the Lord Jesus Christ, how He handled things, we're expected to alter our own thinking about things and not just keep going the, our own way and, and a repeat cycle. But to say, wait, the, the Lord was compelled and driven to a period of severe trial. Right after this wonderful season of celebration, But he didn't deviate from the mission. He didn't complain. He understood. I'm in the Father's will. The greatest thing is to know that we're in the Father's will. In the Father's will. To have that assurance. I'm in the Father's will. It may not be my fleshly human preference. It may not be others' desire for me. And everyone may be telling me that something's wrong with me. But if I love the Lord and I'm obeying Him, the trial is allowed by God to help me to be victorious over the devil who is just hoping that he can make me fall through the trial. The trials can come to us in various ways, various forms. But as we heard yesterday and the previous Sunday, a feeling of hopelessness And also when we face trials and temptations, feelings of discouragement, those are temptations from the devil themselves. This feeling of hopelessness and discouragement. A feeling of inadequacy beyond what would drive us to repent and then progress. A feeling of inadequacy that betrays the power of God in our lives to help us to be joyful. Is it possible? Is it a contradiction? What a paradox to say you can be joyful even in sorrow. We have an idea of what it means when we see the Lord Jesus himself going to the cross. That sorrow, that loneliness, the pain, the burden of carrying the whole world's sins, every person's sins. It's beyond our comprehension. But he did it, and yet he, he was filled with joy even during the high priestly prayer. Not too long before he was arrested and taken away as a criminal, even though he did no wrong. 
and he was dragged from East Jerusalem all the way down southwest to Caiaphas's house and then he was taken up to Pilate's residence and then sent back down to Herod's residence and then backed up to Pilate and then condemned to die and taken outside the city gates and crucified. In the late evening and throughout the night all hell was working against him. And the Lord said, this is the hour of darkness. But it's part of the plan because darkness cannot comprehend or swallow the light. And the Lord emerged victorious after he died. He went through all of God's will, but he came out resurrected in total victory and triumph. That's the picture of truth for every believer the darkest valley and darkest trial is just a stepping stone truly for anyone who really loves God and really follows Him. God will bring us out. And God will show His glory through us. You see, it's not bring us out and then put us in a side somewhere on the side and then show His glory. No, it's through us because we are in His body and He loves us. It's through the man Christ Jesus, although divine son of God, Satan was defeated. God is showing us that through us as human beings filled with the Spirit of God, we can defeat the devil every single time. God in us. Emmanuel, God with us, but also God in us and through us. Because we're in Christ, not just with Christ. Every person who's born again has Christ inside them. When they please Christ, he said in John's Gospel, my Father and I will come and take up residence with that person who obeys me, showing that he loves me. He said, I'll, I'll move in. What will the devil do through this human being, this earthly, this earthen vessel? The treasure and the power of glory is residing. When I rely upon the Spirit of God and trust Jesus Christ, I will overcome every temptation. There is truly no defeat in the path of the cross. In just these few verses, we see that our lives are to be patterned after the Lord Jesus Christ's life. John the Baptist's life also, but the ultimate example is the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, as we close this morning, was so in tune with the Spirit of God, and although the prophet Agabus and took his took his girdle or his belt and bound himself with it to show visually that this is going to happen to you in Jerusalem. It's dangerous and uh, other brothers and disciples pleaded with Paul don't go there but Paul was exactly where God wanted him to go wanted to be and to go so what do you mean by weeping I'm not just ready to be bound there taken into custody for standing up for the truth I'm ready to die for the Lord Jesus 
No wonder this man could write truthfully, not just in a poetic kind of way, sitting somewhere, relaxing. But in the midst of the battle, until the day he left this earth, just like the Lord Jesus Christ. Victory after victory after victory, through every trial, through every pain, the indomitable Paul. He could not be conquered by the devil. And the devil was soundly defeated by the Apostle Paul through the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of the Spirit that he yielded himself to. And this Apostle Paul finished his course. He was the one who wrote truthfully in the epistles. Therefore, I gladly welcome trials or tribulations. He's not looking for it, but if it's coming, he says, I know. Through this fire, another trial, another test, I can hardly wait to see how God is going to get me out of this. Not I don't know how God is going to get me out of this. I don't know if he will get me out of this, but I can't wait to see how he's going to get me out of it because he will. He knew that he was more than a conqueror through the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 1 of Mark, again, having many instances and events just at the very beginning of this gospel. Stop here for today and ask the Lord for help in applying what we've heard to encourage one another to know that we're never alone when we face any trial, any circumstances that change, any situation that's unfavorable we know that familiar verse that rose a new new pharaoh that didn't know Joseph. He saw the plight of the Israelites in, e- in Egypt, the book of Exodus. All the favor was gone. Things are adverse. What am I going to do? The devil says, where's your Jesus now? That's when we have to say, he's right here, devil. Get out in Jesus' name. You can't come and try to trick me, make me discouraged. I immediately talked to the Lord and said, Lord, you are faithful. I love you. You're going to see me through this one. Hallelujah. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for loving kindness. Thank you, Lord, for giving us everything we need in Christ everything we need Lord in Christ everything we need Lord for the good times and for the bad times always 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 win because you are victorious you said no 
power of darkness can overtake the light. He said, I've given you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, we thank you. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord, that you have a work for each one of us to do, Lord, a mission. And, Lord, however the Spirit of God would lead us, whatever seems to not make sense humanly, but we know we're in your will. Help us, Lord, to rejoice in that fact, in that truth. And as long as we're in your will, we're pleasing the Father, and he'll work everything out for our good. Hallelujah. We praise you, Father. I thank you, Lord, for lifting anyone who has a burden this morning. Anyone, Lord, who's under some kind of attack from the enemy. Anyone who's facing a situation, Lord, where they feel the pain and perhaps loneliness, confusion, weakness. The God who sent, said, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Thank you, Lord. You're the God who strengthens us to fight. Hands for war and our fingers for battle. And the God who guarantees that we will accomplish all that you've planned for us, Lord, because you've taken us from a past of disobedience and you've given a new spirit, Lord, within us, a new person that we can follow after the light, after righteousness. And thank you, Lord. Bless your people today, Lord, to have another day of victory in Christ. In Jesus' name I thank you. Amen.